views and opinions on this show do not necessarily reflect the views of ESPN Tucson 1490 and 104.9 FM or the Arizona Lotus Corporation. Got car trouble? Now's the time to talk with Jerry on the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show. Call in now at 719-1490. Well, if you're one of the millions who own one of them gas-drinking, piston clanking, air-polluting, smoke-belching, four-wheeled buggies from Detroit City, then pay attention. I'm about to sing your song, son. Welcome back to the second hour of the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show right here on ESPNTucson.com, 1490 AM, 104.9 FM. I'm Jerry Simmons, your host, along riding shotgun with me, my buddy Jim Mooney from Frontier Towing for all of your towing needs. What we've been doing, good morning again, Jim. Good morning again, Jerry. So remember, super safe Saturday, folks. Move over, slow down. All right. <laughs> oh, and when you're driving in the rain, don't forget to add a little bit of uh, distance between you and the car in front of you, because believe it or not, it will pop up. You'll have pop-up rain showers in Tucson, and the roads get slick, and you need to add a little bit of extra safe stopping distance between you and the person in, person in front of you because the person in front of the person in front of you may pull a brake check. Then that guy hits his brakes, and then you hit your brakes. And I don't know how many bumpers you're going to collect at this time, but it it happens. You see it every day. Jim does. Jim sees it a lot more than I do because he's out there. Now, do you want to add anything to the safety driving on the uh, wet roads, Jim? I know we're going to have them. I know that not everybody's catching the Simmons Car Care Show on Saturday morning, so we're going to try to cover some of this stuff again for you as a little friendly reminder. Go ahead. Yeah, shame on them for not catching the Simmons Car Care Show. I mean, what what else you got to do on Saturday morning? Get out, get your coffee, sit down, listen to us, relax for two hours, and then you're good to go. Or... (laughs) That yeah, or you can go to work and you can you can go to work and listen to us for the first thirty minutes on your way to work. Then you got to get out and go into the hospitals or doctors and nurses and medical field, cops, uh, all your emergency people that are running first responders out there. And by the way, good morning to all of you. And you know, so they can't catch the whole thing. So some of this, in fact, all of it is actually re- is worth repeating which we're not going to get too heavy in it, but I do want to remind you of safety driving habits in the water, you know. Go ahead, Jim. You're the one that digs so, them out. Yeah. You're the one that pulls them out of the washer, not me. 
so in the last week we've had there's been lots of reports of you know flash flooding, flooding water, high rising water, water incidents um, in and around the state in and around the country. I've seen lots of video of, of you know amazing video of of, oh. of flash floods occurring, um, which is kind of new. But I've seen it myself. I've I've watched the the, the wash creep along like a snake as it as it as the first water approaches it's really interesting to watch um but the uh but there's a lot of new video out there where you can see the flash flooding happening and it's it's really hard to uh, to expand about how how really quick that stuff comes up and how how easy you can get caught in it and water doesn't care it mother nature is not forgiving she does not care whether you're standing there or not, it's going to do, have her way, and that's what's going to happen. And you're going to you're going to you're going to abide by it. So um, that being said, when you're when you're driving and you see water, you know what do they say? Turn around, don't drown. Yeah, don't be driving through that stuff. I know it looks I know it looks shallow. I know it looks like it'll be okay. Um, it's not. It really isn't. That stuff, that water has so much hydraulic pressure that it can push you sideways in a minute. Um, we could do the math real quick, but you know, basically, you take this, you know, the the uh, the area of your car, and you know, say it's four by eight, four feet by eight feet. That's uh, thirty-two, and times that by one hundred and forty-four. So that's what. Um, thirty-two thousand. Now you got thirty-two thousand psi against your car, or thirty-two hundred psi against your car. So thirty-two hundred psi on wow. your car pounds per square inch. You know that's a lot of pressure, folks. That's a lot of pressure. Hydraulic cylinders run at thirty-two hundred psi. So, give or take, you know, probably actually higher than that. I'm just trying, only, trying to do it in my head, but yeah. Uh, 12, in, 12 inches of water running across. Um, uh, let's let's pick on something here in Tucson. Let's pick on Tanker Verde Wash. Or, uh, yeah, let's pick on Tanker Verde Wash. And you go over and you decide you're going to cross it. One, if the barrier's up, don't go across it. It'll cost you money. You will get a ticket for one of those. And uh, it's called the stupid motor's law. And there's a reason for that. There's no other way to describe it. But... 12 inches of water, depending on what the rate of flow is, will move you out of the road. And I see a lot of the big trucks and stuff, you know, like like my Dodge. Uh, the guys will have a big monster tires on them, and they go in. Well, uh, if you have an inner tube and you put air in it, you can float down a wash with it. So you've got four big tires on there that have air in them. And you think, oh, I can just go ahead and go on across there. Yeah, you may keep the turbo inlet out of the water, but my gosh, you're still floating on four big inner tubes. So the water hits it, you move downstream, and then all of a sudden you're calling Frontier Towing at 748-1100 to come and get you out, if you're that fortunate. Uh, the ground surface under a water, under the flowing river, like Tank of Verde Wash, changes Every, I think it's two minutes, it changes in depth, and it changes with how much sediment is going across the bottom, and it'll cut out uh, ridges, 
So there's too many unknown factors that you don't have privy to because you can't see through the water, and neither can that truck or that car. The cars these days are low unless you have an SUV. Well, you have an SUV, but they're a heck of a lot lighter than they used to be. And so you just, you're rolling dice, and it's not worth the risk. It's just not worth the risk. So big old uh, four-wheel drives have these big mudder tires on them, <clears throat> and they go up, and they go to Tanka Verde, and they go up the mountain and up the ridges and through the uh, Reddington Pass and all of that. Uh, they work excellent in the mud with a little bit of water. But you put a lot of water, and then the game, the rules start changing really quick. They start changing really quick. Now, most of your off-roader tires and these big tires that they have on these trucks have a better watershed. The, the treads are thicker. The thread, uh, treads are deeper than a car. So if you take that and just remember, water does not compress. It has to escape. And if you if it doesn't have a way to escape from the tires on your little SUV or something like that, then you're riding on top of the water. You're not riding on the road. You're riding on top of the water, and that's where the problem is. And if you're riding with just a little bit of contact to the road, and then you've got 12 inches of water coming through <clears throat> at about 15 mile an hour, you've got a problem, Houston. You've got a problem. So that is the issue that Jim sees that we don't see. Well, we do see a lot of it in search and rescue, but we don't, as far as the first responders, out there trying to keep people from going through water that is at least four foot tall. Oh, i got a big old truck. I can do that. Yeah, really? <laughs> uh, that's the reason the barriers are set up. Uh, Pima County doesn't really think that you can do that, and if you do it, you get a ticket, if you're lucky enough to be around to get the ticket. So heads up. And you want to add something to that, Mr. Tow Truck? Operations what? person. Uh, you, see, you see it all the time in search and rescue, Jerry. Uh, how often do people practice uh, being involved in an emergency situation? Never. Nobody they goes don't. out and practices getting stuck in the watch. Nobody goes out and practices heat exhaustion. Nobody goes out and practices breaking their leg and falling down a hill. It's just something we do not do, and well, and for good reason. So, the pro one of the problems we see is when you when you get in this situation, you're you're unfamiliar with what's going to take place, and you're outside your comfort zone. You have no training on what to do. This is why people like Jerry, first responders, go to school, train, train, train on how to how to identify, accept, and conquer these challenges. We as a general public do not do that. I do some because of the industry I'm in, but not at the level that, that professionals, recovery people, firefighters, and res search and rescue people do on a daily basis. And, what I, and the reason why I say that is because when you're faced with these challenges, you don't know what to do. And the first thing you're going to do is panic. And I know that you think you won't, but been there, done it, you know, you're going to panic. And you're not going to know what to do, which means your your thought processes go to sh go out the window. You're going to be 
all over the place, and I know on TV it looks very easy, but when you're in that situation, you don't know what to do, and you're going to panic. And it's just a normal reaction. And Jerry can tell you this. He's seen it a million times. Now, what we know is when you panic, you're you're not thinking, so you're not going to make the best decisions. So, and it can be just from the from somebody driving by and splashing on your window water on your window, and you can't see. It can be when your car is rolling down the wash, being you know being carried away by the water. Um, um, and since we can't, we don't practice these these emergency situations, and we're never going to get to. It just it's just not it's not available. The trick is to avoid them before you get in them. And that's the only advice, the best advice I can give you. Just if you if you think that you can you can take them on and and challenge them, even people that do this for a living struggle with it. And Jerry will tell you he's done this so long. He can write a hundred books on how many issues come up, and every issue every situation is a new situation. And he has a team of people with him, not just him. You're all, you're working by yourself, and Maybe you're phoning a friend. Well, you know, your friend's not there to help you, and they can only do so much on the telephone. Maybe they can calm you down. But when you – firemen don't go out by themselves. They go out by <clears throat> with a crew. There's a crew of guys, usually, you know, a dozen. Electric guys, people – the people that, that work electric incidents, like the Tucson Electric Power people. There's not one guy out there working. There's a crew of 25 out there working in an electric scene. Police officers working in a site. There's not one. There's 20 of them. That's why when you see 20 cars around, there's 20 guys out there working the site to make sure they get it right because that's what it takes. So if you think that you can tackle this all by yourself, well, guess again, ain't going to happen. doesn't work. Um, so let's avoid the whole situation by not doing it in the beginning. That's what i got to say on that, Jerry. That is excellent. Well put. Well put. I look at um, I, I look at a, a wash that's running real heavy, and you know it's it's a thought process. You look at it and say, "Do I really want to tackle that?" Well, do you really want to run back into a burning house and get a TV because it's your favorite TV? No. Are there people that will run into a house? Yeah, they're first responders. They have all the equipment. They have all the training. They can probably go in and get back out. You can go in and come out looking like a piece of toast. So, uh, And the same thing on these river crossings and the water. I've been on, on post over in Sabino Canyon to where my job was to keep people from driving out across a flash flood coming down the hill. I seen a rock, a boulder rolling that was big as a Volkswagen bug coming down. That's how much force that water has. Tanka Verde Falls, uh, I think there's 28 or 29 people now. I, I think that's close to the number that have been killed in Tanka Verde Falls because of water accidents. We have a video at Search and Rescue that shows the dry side of the canyon. And then we have the flip on the other side of that. We show a wall of water coming down. That wall of water was 14 foot high. It sounded like a train coming through. So this is real stuff. Oh, 719-1490, if you'd like to get out of here and join the show, you know, by all means, any questions you may have, 719-1490.
Okay. Uh, this portion is brought to you in part by LensAutobrokerage.com. They're located 2101 North Stone Avenue. If you want to go kick a tire, go kick a tire. LensAutobrokerage.com and DesertRV.com. That's the two websites. If you're looking for a uh, RV, DesertRV.com. If you're looking for a little gas miser or a full-size diesel or a Jeep or anything like that, or it'd be LensAutobrokerage.com, and you can go in there and find it. And yes. then for the weekend warriors, Merle's Auto is open in 10 different locations in Tucson, plus they're scattered out around the state. Uh, they've got them in Sierra Vista, behind the Sierra Suites Hotel, Marinci, Globe, Casa Grande, Green Valley. And they've got the big wire house on South Dodge Boulevard where they have foreign, domestic, uh, they have rebot, they have white box OE parts, original equipment, and they have 18 wheeler parts. For most of the stuff that you're going to do on an 18-wheeler or you're going to be able to work on on a weekend, they have all the stuff, including the equipment. And then as uh, the last hour, they do have Merle's Machine Shop over on 15 West Ajo, 807-4010 for the machine shop. They do rotors, drums, and flywheels on Saturdays, and you can get your project done and get back out by Monday so you can go to go back to work. Hey, guys, we have a car um, on the line. But on the all right, let's uh, who we got on the line. Joseph wants to talk about Top Care Gas. Okay, who is it? Okay, what's his name? Joseph. Joseph. Hello. Good morning, Joseph. Hello. Welcome to ESPN Simmons Car Care Show. I've been listening to for years, Jerry. And I uh, just wanted to have a couple questions on top-tier gasoline. You use Chevron, right? I use anything that says top-tier. Oh, any, well, do you, are they all equal? That was my main question. In other words, would I have to just stay with Chevron, or can I use a different brand and still feel like I'm hitting top-tier gasoline, even though the signs might say outside we have top-tier gasoline? Yeah. Top-tier gasoline is a designation that they do based on the amount of added um, added ingredients to the fuel for cleaning of the engines, for cutting the carbon and all of that, and cleaning the injectors. Top-tier fuel, you have to apply for it. You have to prove that the additives are in the fuel. Right now, you've got Costco, which is a top-tier. You have uh, QT which is a top-tier fuel. You have Chevron, top-tier fuel, uh, and there's numerous. You can actually Google top-tier fuel availability or top-tier fuel, top fuel stations in your area, and you can find out what else you can use. You can use well, any top-tier fuel, and it's top-tier. Well, the problem is I use Quick Trip, and I, I know it's t- it says top-tier, and they have 24 24- Pumps when I pull into the gas station. That's why I like to go there. I, I never had to get behind mm-hmm. anybody else's car to wait for them to show up. But uh, you're okay. 
Okay, well, uh, okay. Now I have some questions on the the motorback, but I don't have any questions on it. I, I've had it done at your place, but I'd like to to explain again to, to some my friend who's thinking about getting his car car done. But first of all, if I buy a new car, how many miles do I can I drive before I need to go get the motorback? Would you? On your okay, well, let's see if I can get these answered in in almost the order that you asked the questions. On your new cars, new cars, especially with your gas direct injected, they build carbon like you haven't seen carbon being built. We did a 2017 that had uh, 2,900 miles on it. It was 2017 Ford EcoBoost direct injection. It was my wife's truck. We did it with cameras. We did before and after camera shots on a 2,900-mile vehicle. When we took the first shot of it, it showed carbon inside the valves, and we did a motor vac on it, and it cut the carbon off the back of the valves at 2,900 miles, okay? Carbon historically starts building at 7,500 miles on a car to the extent that you need to give it attention. Most of you use cars, I mean, new cars, See, add a a can of gas cleaner or gas additives at every oil change intervals on the brand new cars. So if you've got a brand Did new you say car, every, you say, okay, every, it's going to every, go 10,000 miles. Every oil change or every other, I thought I heard you say one time. No. You do the gas additive at all change intervals. But if you're not following the recommendations of the manufacturers, because at 10,000 miles, you don't wait 10,000 miles to put another can of conditioner in it. If you do, if you've got an older vehicle and you haven't been maintaining it, you've never had the carbon cut off the valves or anything like that, you want to do, I run additive in my vehicles every other to every third fuel tank, depending on how I'm driving, you know, what the time thing is, just to keep it clean. And I do that on a diesel because we don't use diesels the way that they were designed to be used. We don't haul around a uh, excavator or stuff on the bed of a truck or the, on a pull a trailer around on a regular thing, a regular basis during the week. We use our diesels to go grocery shopping. That is not even even close to a load for diesel. Diesels need to work. That's what they were designed to do. Therefore, I run a can of fuel cleaner, sometimes every tank, but no further out than every third tank. Now, you, you measure the amount of additive that you're putting in them, because most people will go down to about a quarter of a tank, and then they'll fill it back up, and then they'll put a can of cleaner that will go for the full 26 gallons, and you've already got a quarter of a tank that has the cleaner in it. So you need to back out. That's the reason I say every third tank, if you're running the cleaner, every third tank you should be safe enough to run it back in and keep it clean. That is a preventive maintenance on your fuel delivery system. That does not mean that about 19 to 20,000 miles, you're not going to have to have it professionally clean with a motor vac system that makes sure everything is out of it. The motor vac system has a vacuum gauge set up on it. We plug it in. 
Your vacuum on that engine should be around 20, 21. And we've got them in there on a V6 uh, Ranger that we did for my dad-in-law. And it was at 16. We His was so dirty because it was a putt-putt used around town. And it wasn't running long enough to keep it in closed loop, which means the fuel trim is set by the computer and it supplies the fuel in closed loop operation at the temperature of the engine to burn it clean and take it out through the catalytic converter. Now, when you run it and you start it up and you run down to the gas station or you run down to get a gallon of milk or something like this and you're you're in it, you run it about, eh, start it up, run it 10 minutes to the local quick place where you get the milk or something, that's only about 10 minutes. And so then you shut it off go in and get it, come back out, start it up again, and drive back to the house. Well, it hasn't had long enough running in the closed loop to actually get rid, to evacuate the debris inside of the fuel delivery system. That's the reason that you use the additive to help keep this stuff moving as much as possible. It's a preventive So that when you do the motor vac, then it's a clean and then you're good to go again. But the motor vac will clean it uh, and it's recommended anywhere. It depends on how long you drive it when you start it up. If you start, let me clear that up. When you, if you start your car up and say, okay, uh, and I tell Jim, I'm going to go to Phoenix. And you start your car up and you're going to run to Phoenix. Well, that's about an hour and a half, two hours from my place. So you've got two good hours of running, which gives the system a chance to clean it up, blow out all the old stuff in it, and you can stand a chance. Then at about 17,000 miles, uh, 15,000, 17,000, you can safely get a motor vac. Not everybody needs a motor vac, though. You know, I had, but I was educated on that one from a lady that had a Toyota that run back and forth to Phoenix three times a week. And I asked her, I said, ma'am, are you sure you need a motor vac? I mean, you, you maintain your vehicle to the nth degree, uh, and you run up there and back three times a week. And she says, she finally, she said, Jerry, are you going to do the motor vac on my Toyota? Are you going to continue to try to talk me out of it? I said, I'm just trying to save you the money that I don't personally think that you need at this point. I was wrong. We did the motor vac. She drove it back and forth to Phoenix for a week. She called me and says, oh, and by the way, I got a mile and a half to two and a half mile per gallon, better fuel after I had the motor vac. So evidently there was something hiding in this small motor that you overlooked. And I said, yes, ma'am. And so, yeah, the motor vac is probably the number one favorite piece of equipment and we have everything over there that is my favorite piece of equipment to put on an engine if i have a runnability problem in the engine and you say well you know it's probably just spark plugs uh no it's probably just the inability of the engine to to process the gasoline that's going in it because of the Heavy carbon buildup on the back of the valves and a heavy carbon buildup on the pistons. And so I said, let's do, let's do the motor back first and see if it'd clear your miss. If it doesn't, I won't even charge you for the motor back. Guess what? 
it fixed it. And the early Tauruses, when they come out, they would have a problem with the carburetor. They, they were notorious for that. I guess it's just a little bit of garbage on them and stuff like that. By the way, most of the carburetors that I've seen, you know, in my stint in the automotive repair industry, has been from dirt and buildup of gasoline deposits inside the carburetor and the feed lines and the needle in seats. And I found out that you can actually put, we had the approval to change and put a brand new carburetor on a Ford Taurus. And I said, okay, let's play. Let's go with the motor vac first. And if it don't work, then I'll replace that $900 carburetor for you. And the motor vac at that time run about 150 bucks. And I said, and if it don't work, I will waive the charges on the motor vac. You you would have had a, a motor vac operation in there, but it'll clean the valves and the pistons, but it wouldn't fix the carburetor. We'll replace the carburetor. I did three of those, and it all worked. Most of the garbage inside of a carburetor is fuel, residue, and just garbage. And you clean that son of a gun out, keep it clean by either adding a can of additive to it to try to prolong the agony, and they work. But carbon, if you have a combustion engine, I don't give a crap how far you drive it and what speed you drive it, you're going to build carbon in it. And that's just the nature of the beast. And uh, catalytic converters, be careful of the additive you use and make sure that it's okay. 99% of the stuff out there on the market right now is O2 sensor okay. In other words, you can use it with O2 sensors. I see more problems with people using the different sealants on the top of the valve covers and stuff that actually the odor and stuff gets into the system uh, because it's not O2 sensor safe, and it'll coat the O2 sensor, and it won't allow it to work proper. So everything that you put on that engine or use for sealants, you check and make sure it says O2 sensor, O2 sensor safe, and then you can use that. But don't get in too big of a hurry, and don't, you know, these other stuff, make sure... And don't get the cheapest thing out there on the market. Make sure that you read the back of it and find out what you. Hello, you still there, Jim? I think we lost. Yeah, we're gonna. Uh, I'm here. I think we lost. I think we lost Jerry. Okay, yeah, we'll back. we'll get him back on the line if you want to take over right now. We'll give him a call. <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. So yeah, so what he's talking about it was the uh, the the uh, the sealant contaminates the sensor. Amazingly enough, uh, as the gas flows across the O2 sensor, um, the, the O2 sensor actually wears out, and it tells the the, uh, the uh, car how rich or lean you are. And what happens is is the sealant has flows gets in with the exhaust, and it flows across the the O2 sensor, and so it gives a false reading. It, it and then it starts to coat the sensor, and you can't you it won't read properly. And then when it gets that slight uh, coating on there, it won't work at all. So you have to be careful about that using the silicone. It used to be gaskets that you could stick on there, but gaskets are no longer the mainstay. It's uh, it, it's gluing gluing blocks together with with uh, sealers. I'm amazed at how how uh, new engines machine surfaces are held together with you know a sealer. You know, looks like a Loctite basically. You stick it on there and it's glued. So pretty impressive stuff.
again, has to be applied right. You've got to do it correctly or, or your or it leaks. I mean, it, I thought I knew how to do it, and then I realized I screwed it up. So you've got to be careful when you're trying to assemble that stuff. But uh, back to the, the fuel the fuel issue. Um, so if, 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 if you don't know, when you're buying fuel from, from your gas station, the the gas comes out of the out of the, the all the additives are added in the fuel in the truck in the tank Jerry, truck. So, no, Jerry, you're back on. So as we're no, you um, just keep talking. You're doing fine. Okay, so the so additives for fuel for top tier fuels are added at the time the fuel is put in the in the fuel tank truck. It's not made with the fuel from the refinery. All the fuel that comes down the refinery pipe is pretty much identical. Okay, all the all the muddy gas looks exactly the same, and the only difference is the the additives that are put in at the time the the fuel is put in the truck. The reason why I know this is because well, my office is slap dab in the middle of the fuel tank farms, and I've talked with the guys for many years about how how fuel and fueling systems work, and I didn't know. When the guy walked me over and showed me the rack and showed me the, 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 uh, basically the building that has how they control fuel that comes into Tucson, Arizona. So when, when, uh, Chevron says, says you're a Chevron station and you're going to put fuel in our tank, uh, they basically encode the load, the fuel load for the tanker with, with the additive. And it's done all by computer. The guy basically hooks up the line and he hits the thing and it says Chevron Tektron level gas and the gas flows in, the additive flows in exactly what's supposed to, and then he takes that and puts it in the t- in the in the storage tank underground. So he, the so when if you think that it comes from the refinery, no, it doesn't. It comes specifically from uh, an additive pack that's added at the time of delivery. And the reason why it's done that way is because different resellers like to have different, you know, marketing techniques. So they like to have different pro- products they put in. Just like you use a different type of oil for your car, they use different types of additives and different types of uh, procedures to put the fuel in. So every time the fuel comes to their store, so Chevron fuel comes to their store, it's exactly what Chevron wants every single time. It's never mixed with anything else except for the fact that it goes in the truck. So all the all the mixing is done right in the truck level. Which is kind of interesting because you'd think it would be it would come from, you know, the refinery center, but it doesn't work that way. Because they ship, you know, millions of barrels of fuel all over the country and um it would be too complicated to try and figure out how who does what additive package. Um in what fuel in when we're shipping, you know, when we're shipping 100 million gallons of, of fuel into a into a uh, tank farm, it would be too very. It would they would be impossible for them to say, oh well, you know, here's 200 gallons for Chevron. That doesn't work that way. They can't do it. So all the corrections are done at the delivery point. When they when the truck rolls away from the rack, it has the correct type of fuel and additive for you. So when you see it, it and it's the most it's the most effective method. It gets it gets um, high consistency for your top tier fuels. So when when a 
So when a reseller says we sell top tier fuels, they can be they can rest assured and be um, confident that the fuel they're getting is exactly what they spec to the to the fuel deliverer. So hey guys, we have another. Anyways, call welcome back, Jerry. Yeah, <clears throat> they have a uh, base on top tier fuel just like they have on regular fuel. The federal government come in and said, okay, you need a, this minimum. Well, that thing was set about 100 years ago. But that is one thing. The top-tier fuel designation is another one that has you must have this amount in to be called a top-tier fuel. That don't mean that Chevron can't come in and put Tecron on top of it. Uh, it, it just That's the minimum. It, that is the additive package that's designed to cut the carbon and keep the injectors and stuff clean. So, you know, top-tier fuel, that's what most of you manufacturers recommend now. Uh, overseas, the Mercedes and all of those guys were complaining about the U.S. not having good enough gasoline to run their vehicles in the U.S. Voila, top-tier fuels at the market. Uh, most you manufacturers now recommend top-tier fuels for theirs, Chevrolet, Ford, Chrysler. And it's just that's that's the good stuff, the way they put it in. I said, you know, you can go into a... Merrill's parts house and get enough fuel additive where you can change your fuel from the low octane or the low uh, uh, regular fuels that has the old specification. You can bring it up with additives, but you're going to then you got to add that to the price of a gallon of fuel. So yeah, there's ways to get around it, but run the fuel treatment in these vehicles like is required in your owner's manual. Uh, but that you know that boring book that you don't want to read because you go to sleep while you're doing it. That's good, good rest. But uh, the information is pretty good in it too. All right. Hey somebody guys. said something about somebody being on. Yeah, we got another caller, Sam. What? He wants to talk about CVT transmissions. Okay, let's go to Sam. Sam, good morning. Hello. Welcome to ESPN. Hey. Hey. All right. Can Can you hear me? Okay. Yep, I can. I don't know how long it'll last, but I can right now. If not, Jim will pick it up. All right. Hey, what real you got? Quick, before What's I get your question? My question about the transmissions, the uh, fuel additives. Are, are you, uh, we talking like Seafoam, STP brand? What's a what's a good uh, fuel additive to use out there? Seafoam is good. Most of the fuel additives that are designed to cut the carbon and stuff are pretty much the same. Some of them have a higher concentration of it, like BG Chemical does. Um, doing the rating seafoam is good. Uh, STP is actually good, and that's been around longer than I have. And uh, But most of your additives, and then they have a lot of trick stuff out there that doesn't have a high marketing program on it, expensive marketing program on it. But you can get, you can, if you're in a store, you're, in, say you're in Merrill's and you pick up a can of uh, seafood, <coughs> seafoam <laughs> or seafood, whatever you want to eat. Uh, you pick up the seafoam, turn it over on the back and look at what they've got on the back as far as the concentration that's inside the bottle. Then pick up a cheaper one and match it up and see how far apart they are as far as the ingredients in them because there's only so many things you can put in there to cut carbon, and these guys have figured it out. 
but it's just in a different bottle. It's in a brand you don't recognize. So you can save if you've got a little bit of time to do homework while you're in there. But any, any additive that's supposed to control, uh, uh, clean the injectors, clean the back of the valves. Of course, in gas direct injected, you have to shoot the foam in the nozzle to the engine to the upper intake to get it down to the back of the valves. You can't put it in the fuel tank. So that's just part of doing a motor vac on a uh, gas direct injected motor that the gasoline goes straight to the piston and it bypasses the valves. So you have to put an additive in the throat of the uh, intake and get it down to the back of the valves. And that, that'll help clean it because otherwise the only additive it gets in the, on the back of the valves is what's left over when the valve opens and it has to come from a cylinder to the valve and that is not the way you want to clean these because you don't get it done. So any additive is better than no additive as far as controlling carbon because carbon is in every combustible engine. And the cleaner you keep the fuel delivery system, the the uh, the more it burns, more efficient in the cylinders and the pistons, the better it keeps the carbon off of it. Hey, so, guys. Hey, guys, we have another caller on the line. Uh, Danny wants to talk about top-tier fuel. You want to take that call? Okay. Is Sam still with me? No, he is not. We have Danny on the line now. Okay, let's go to Danny. Danny, good morning. Good morning. Hi. You've covered most of my questions, but I do have uh, one pertaining. I just bought a 2022 Ford Escape. It has a 1.5 liter EcoBoost system. And I'm not a mechanic, so I'm, I'm very layman here in layman terms. That's all right. The owner's manual okay. says that it uh, will run on 87 octane, but running a premium 91 octane fuel is uh, will give me the word in the owner's manual is optimal, optimal performance if I run the premium fuel in my vehicle. However, it's designed to do either. Your suggestion would be, and I don't mind paying a little difference for premium fuel. My my question is, mm-hmm. would it be to my advantage to run the premium uh, versus the uh, regular uh, top tier fuel? When when you're running the premium versus the eighty seven, let's say you're running a what a ninety eight or something like that, ninety seven. When you're running the octane in it, the little Echo Boost, they're a small motor. Uh, does your little Escape have a turbo on it? Yes, it's an Eco Boost with uh, okay turbo. Turbo. Okay. I had a, a nephew look under the hood because I don't know anything, and he said, mm-hmm. "Yeah, there's your Eco Boost system." All right, so you can run that. I would run the uh, high-octane in it because it has enough compression to actually process the high-octane as well as a low compression. I mean, the compression will still process the 87, but it has the ability to process the high-octane because the compression in it is better. And the high-octane burns longer in a cylinder 
when you've got the compression to back it up. It burns longer in the cylinder, therefore it gives you a, a cleaner burn. Will it stop the carbon buildup 100%? Nope. But it'll last mm-hmm. longer the way you're doing it with a higher octane. So, yeah, I'd run, I'd run a premium in that. If you, if you don't mind that price, go right ahead. If you're going to run less, okay. if you're going to run the 87, then step up the use of the uh, gasoline treatment on it. So, but okay, octane, I, I appreciate yeah. that information. But Thank you, you very much. That, that answers my question. Push. All right, buddy. Have a good one, Danny. Thank you. Uh-huh. 719-1490. We got about that, 10 minutes, something like that, 15. 719-1490. Any questions you have on this top tier? This, this is, there is a lot of questions out there on top tier fuel and octane, and they get the two tied tied up together, and they're not. A high octane is based on using something with some compression in the motor, and it gives you a full, long burn, actually a cleaner burn. But if you use high octane in a low compression motor, it doesn't really give you that much of anything. You know, they say, well, you know, it burns cleaner. Yeah, but it's got to burn. And lower octane has a heavier flash when it first fires off then they longer burn high octane. And you think, well, that's got to be better. No, it's not. Nope. Uh, so if you're running an old car, if you're running in a early 90s or something, with you know, you got, what, eight and a half to one compression versus the one that on this Echo Boost, it probably has up to 10 and one to 14 to 16, depending on how the engine is designed and it can add compression to it as it wants to, okay? So it's computer control. And so, yes, I can see why Ford would say, go ahead and run the, the premium in it. But that premium is also, what, a dollar a gallon higher than the regular? So And people are just not going to do it. The thing I don't want you to do is run E85 in it, unless it's rated for E85 and it'll say right on the gas cap or inside the area where your gas cap actually goes to it, it'll have a sticker in there, E85 approved. If you run E85, that's 85% octane and 15% gasoline. If you run it in an older vehicle, it can cause problems because the older vehicles, anything past a 2001 is not going to process that. 2001, they started saying, okay, this is an E85 vehicle. This, you can buy two vehicles, same model. One will be E85, one won't be E85. But anything 2001 above, you can run the 15% alcohol in that goes with 85% of gas instead of E85, which is 85% gasoline. And 15%, I got that, no, 85% is alcohol and 15% is gasoline. So be careful what you put in there. E85 is cheaper than regular gasoline. So, you know, don't, don't say, well, it's gasoline, you ought to work. Yeah, but it's got some little issues. One, the E85 will have a little bit less of fuel economy because of the alcohol. It burns faster inside the cylinders, 
and you won't get the same fuel economy, and people complain about that, and yet they'll buy it and put it in an old car, and then it starts drying out seals because alcohol doesn't have a that much of a lubricant in it. And even in race cars, you have to add a can of lubricant just to make sure that it does its job while it's going through the system. Hey, Jerry. So be careful with that. Hey, Jerry, we got yes, Sam sir. back on about the CVT transmission. Oh, good. Put Sam back. Sam, welcome back, bud. Didn't mean to cut you off. Hey, I'm I'm here. Hello, Sam. Hey. All right. Uh, so I have a, a 2018 Nissan Rogue, and um, I've always, you know, heard uh, these CVT transmissions. Ooh, watch out for them, this and that. And then the other day, I got a letter from uh, Nissan saying, "Hey, we're going to extend your your warranty, you know, on your transmission to." X amount of miles and, you know, uh, whichever comes first. So what's the deal with sure. these CVT transmissions? It doesn't say, you know, what we're looking out for, that it could do this, this, or that. So what, what's the what's the deal with these CVT transmissions? Do they, I mean, are they notorious for, for going out or what, 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 the, what are they all about? I haven't seen... Uh, I, I know just enough about CVT transmission to know that when you're working, you're working perfect. When they're not working, they, they're junk and you have to replace them. But the biggest problem that I've seen with CVT transmissions from talking to guys in the industry is people don't tra- change the fluid in it. And there's very little fluid in there. And when you use them, it creates heat. And heat is what actually takes the lubricants and stuff out of the fluids because you don't have that much fluid in a CVT. So change the fluid on a regular basis. Evidently, Nissan has uh, had some problems with them where they wasn't getting out of warranty on them. Therefore, they say, okay, let's, let's, we've got too many little problems on them and people are getting nervous about it. So let's go ahead and extend the warranty on it, you know. Uh, General Motors did it on a a diesel because the injectors are failing premature, and they extended it up to another 150,000 miles or some crap like that in the older, in the stage uh, 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 2004s, 2005, 2006s. They were, especially, well, a 2001, 2, 3, they were putting added warranties on the injectors because their failure rate was so high. And it was a manufacturer's issue, and they wasn't even getting them out of the warranty. And when people would get them back, they didn't trust the new injectors that was put in them, so they had to extend the warranties on them. And that's basically what Nissan's doing with this. By the way, Nissan is one of the big boys as far as amount of recalls. Hang on. Let me see what I got here. Yep, 670,302 Nissans were recalled between 2014 and 2019. So, yeah, they spotted it. Hooray for them. They're offering you an added warranty on that, which means that you change the fluid in it or they will – you change the fluid. You just you get in the book. You find out what the grain intervals is on that thing and divide it by two, and that's when you want to change it because it only has something like a quart and a half on those little CVT transmissions. And that stuff circulates all time while you're driving it. That's a lot of wear and tear and abuse on a lubricant. So, you know, you, you just change it. 
change it. Whatever it says, change it. You're in a severe duty state. You've got the heat, the road heat. You've got everything complicating that little problem. It does work well. It, you know, the ones that I've driven that have the CVTs in it, it's a nice unit. It's a nice, nice little thing, but you just got to stay on top of it a little bit further than what they originally come out and say, well, you know, it'll last uh, 100,000 miles. No, it won't last 100,000 miles. I don't even know what the change intervals is on the CVT. I treat it just like I do a regular transmission. About 30,000 miles, I'm going to change that one-quarter fluid out of that CVT and get it in. But it's out of sight, out of mind, and unless you require it, I'll go to a quality shop like a Parker or uh, automotive specialist or a Simmons, they won't know to check that CVT transmission. The fluid will have an odor to it. It means it's past due for, ch- for changing. Change it. And if you've got some kind of little additive that they make for CVT transmissions, which I think they do, uh, put the additive in it also, and that'll help it preserve the fluid that's in there and keep it from breaking down so quick. Okay? Okay. Okay. And, and again, we're not talking about a big keep. tranny flush. We're just talking about a drain and fill, right? You're talking about a drain and fill. Yeah, it's only got yeah. <laughs> It takes longer to hook the machine up would be to flush it. Um, but yeah. just a drain and okay. fill on that, you get the old out and you put the new in because it is so small, it'll drain. Okay? Yeah. It'll drain out, and then mm-hmm. you can just replace it with the other, and you should be good to go. But if you don't, you will okay. be having a CVT transmission problem. Okay? All right. Sounds did good. That, I, I, I appreciate it. Did that answer the question? Yeah, right, I mean, you know, like it, I said, Sam. it, it, it sounds like uh, that's all it is, is, you know, what what a lot of us fail to do is that preventive maintenance. But, um, you know, so when I hear people talking about the, you know, word on the street, the CVT, well, maybe that's coming from folks that don't uh, do the preventive maintenance and they call them pieces of crap. And well, that they're going to go out on you and they're notorious for going out. Well, maybe that's for the folks that, I don't know, that, that aren't doing the preventive maintenance, you know, they just. You know, that, I mean, I, I remember being, being uh, when I first started driving, you know, 30 years ago, my dad told me, hey, driving is more than just putting gas in your car and going. You know, you got to keep an eye on your tires, on your on your engine, and this and that. So that was good words of advice from old pops, you know. But uh, you don't just put yes, gas and go does. and expect your car to just last forever. You know, you got you to give a little TLC all around, you know, every now and then, you know. Well, you know, it's like I said, it's a small transmission. It was designed to save fuel. It was designed to save the weight on the car, and it does work. But the amount of fluid in it is really critical. And by not checking it, you can have a leak on that CVT just like you can on a transmission. But you don't have that much stuff to leak out of it. It don't have 12 quarts in it. It has one and a half. About one and a half, I think, is what it is. And if you wow. keep it and and understand driving habits, you can take a four turbo four hundred and put it in behind a four fifty four and drive a crap out of, and you can potentially blow up that four hundred transmission. And these little Nissans that have these little motors in them have a gearing in them to where they can actually crank it up and get it on. Well, if you keep cranking it up and getting it on, it puts an extra load on that little CVT. And all of a sudden, it don't want to work right because you've done wore the fluid out inside it. And if you yeah. jerk it, 
or abuse it, yeah, you can tear it out. But if a normal driver, you keep the fluid changed in it. I don't know too many people having problems with those. And people say, yeah, they're a piece of junk. Well, if you're towing a trailer with it, they may be. I don't know. Yeah, I'm no, this is just enough everyday driver out. across town, back and forth to work. That's all, you know, so. All right. That's what it's supposed to be. All right. Well, once again, I, I, so I appreciate the, the information. In it. Yes. All okay. Right, Thank Have you. Have a good weekend. Uh huh. Bye bye. Seven one nine fourteen ninety. We got about two minutes, two and a half minutes left. Um, Jim, do you want to add anything on the CVTs? Oh uh, yeah, on the on the CVTs. I think what um, the Nissans. I think they um, they they're subject to um, a little bit of um, because uh, because you know they're trying to keep the engine at the at the proper horsepower and fuel economy all the time. I think they're that the Nissans, I think they get, yep. they start having issues when they run at the 3000 RPM level and in hot weather, <laughs> hot weather's bad for them. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe, we don't maybe have going hot to weather a synthetic, in I know maybe going to a synthetic, you know, sometimes a synthetic will drop your, 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 your fluid temperature a little bit, uh, increase Increased wear, fifteen degrees. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And the one last thing, I, um, you know, if you if you adopt the attitude of drive it like you stole it, it's probably going to break. So, you know, <laughs> be respectful <laughs> to your car. <laughs> you know, just because Give you didn't change to operate, you could. <laughs> <laughs> Right, exactly. Well, you can. You, so, so you can. It's your money. It's your money. But those CVTs are about fourteen hundred dollars a piece. I understand. Oh, I thought yep. they were a lot more than that. But and, you know, well, worst case, consult Nissan themselves. They, they can help you. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's uh, well. What, the, it's. Go ahead, Jerry. Okay, I got, I'm running short. Automotive specialist, 572-1734. He can answer any question on your CVT, 237-3852. Parker Automotive over on Speedway, 323-1960. Another good shop that can answer your questions on the CVTs and probably give you some suggestions on how to keep it inside the car instead of having to be pulled out, blown up, and going to something else. But uh, I would check in and see. I think they make a fluid port and full synthetic for the CVTs, and you're right. On a regular transmission, it can be up to 65 degrees cooler running full synthetic because of the blend. All right, we're out of time. For the ones I'll be joining us today, hope you picked up something. You know, sorry about all the information on the recalls, but if you've got a vehicle, 35% of you is still running with open recalls. Check it out. We'll talk to you next week. God bless. Bye-bye.